I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Philemon. Uh, book of Philemon. Uh, it's right before the book of Hebrews, if you're not sure where that's at. Um, very brief book. And this is the third and final message in our series through Philemon. Um, next week, we'll begin a new sermon series for the summer. It'll take us through most of the summer. Um, called Picturing the Kingdom, and it'll be a series on Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God. And So we'll begin uh, with that next week. Well, many of you know who Paul Tripp is, you know, a well-known Christian author. He's written a number of very helpful books about the Christian life. He really focuses on how the, the gospel of, of God's grace in Christ intersects with ordinary life. And he's got a book on relationships, and I, I love the title of it. it. It's simple, and yet I think he captures something that's uh, so true about relationships. The title is Relationships, colon, A Mess Worth Making. And I think that, that really captures it, a, a mess worth making. I mean, on the one hand, what would life be like without relationships? It would be such an impoverished existence, wouldn't it, uh, without those those significant relationships that, that we enjoy. But at the same time, as you all know, relationships are hard. They're messy, as the title of that book says. Uh, relationships are often broken and, and plagued by conflict and dysfunction. And it, it's really inevitable, right, that our relationships would, would look like this. I mean, you bring sinners together in, in an intimate relationship, friendship, marriage, uh, parents and children, whatever it might be. Um, it, there's bound to be friction. And you think back to the letter of Colossians, which we went through um, a few months ago. And Paul urges the Christians there, to bear with one another. You know why he says that? Because we irritate each other at times. Uh, we annoy each other at times. We say hurtful things to each other. We do hurtful things to each other. The, the Bible is not idealistic about human relationships. It, it's realistic. They're They're messy. And, and last week we talked about this, uh, we talked about having difficult conversations with each other. And, and this week we're going to talk about conflict. We're going to look at how Paul, here in this, this brief passage, how Paul tries to reconcile two Christians. Philemon, you know, a, a well-known, wealthy Christian in the church at Colossae, and Onesimus his runaway servant who happened to become a Christian after he met Paul. And we're going to see how the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us hope and help in the midst of these often conflicted relationships. And so let me read the passage for us. Philemon, uh, beginning in verse 17, I'm going to read down through the, the end of the book through verse 25. This is God's word. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. 
Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Uh, Let's pray and ask for God's help. Our God and Father, we need hope this morning for these wonderful yet messy and, and conflicted relationships that we find ourselves in. We pray that as we come to your word this morning that you would work through your word, work through the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us, to change us, to strengthen us with your grace. We ask all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, what I want to do this morning is is simply look at three points with you. First, we're just going to look at Paul's request. Kind of walk through the verses, really focusing on verses 17 and 18 so we understand what's going on. Second, I want to talk about why does this matter? And then third, um, some applications. So, so first, Paul's request here. You know, we, we've spent two weeks working through Philemon, and, and finally now, in, in verse 17, Paul makes his request of Philemon explicit. He's, he's been preparing for it. He's been hinting at it. And, and here it is, finally. He says, uh, Philemon, I want you to reconcile with Onesimus. You can see it there in verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. He's saying, welcome him back. This this runaway fugitive servant who has wronged you, welcome him back. And and notice, once again, and Paul's been doing this throughout, he appeals to his and Philemon's uh, relationship as Christian brothers. He says, if you consider me a partner, that word partner, is related to the Greek word that we translate as fellowship. So in other words, uh, Paul and Philemon are, are partners in the faith, brothers in Christ. And Paul says, look, I want you to welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. As you would welcome a Christian brother, because that is what Onesimus now is. And, and just as an aside, well, what about Onesimus's freedom? You know, as, you've been working, as we've been working through the letter... We're wondering, is, is Paul going to tell Philemon, hey, let him go, let him go free? And uh, it's not entirely clear whether Paul wants that or not. There seem to be hints of it. Look at verse 21. After Paul makes this request for reconciliation, um, he, he says he's confident that Philemon will take this call for reconciliation to heart. Uh, I'm confident of your obedience. And then he says, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And, and oh, by the way, also prepare a room for me because I'm hoping that I'm going to get to visit you. But, but that even more might point to Paul's hope that, that Philemon will do more than just reconcile with Onesimus, but that he would also uh, release him from his, um, from his position. But we can't be sure. What, what is clear, though, though, is that Paul wants these two to reconcile. And now, put, try to put yourself in Philemon's shoes here. You, you can probably imagine what he's thinking. 
uh, Paul saying, you know, welcome him back as you would welcome me. And Philemon's likely thinking, but I've been wronged. You know, what about, what about the things he stole from me? What about all the lost uh, labor that I've had to deal with? Am I just supposed to let bygones be bygones? And, and notice, Paul doesn't tell Philemon, hey, brother, just get over it. Look at what he says in verse 18. <laughs> this is quite um, surprising. Paul says he will assume Onesimus' debt. He says, whatever he's taken from you, if there has been anything taken, charge that to my account. And there's this exchange taking place. Onesimus' debt is transferred to Paul so that he, Onesimus, can be received as if he were Paul. What does that sound like? What, who does that sound like? It sounds like the Gospel, doesn't it? It sounds like Christ, this, this exchange. He stood in our place. He, he assumed our guilt, the debt of our guilt. He discharged our debt toward God so that we could be forgiven, so that His righteousness could be credited to us and we could be welcomed by God in Christ. And, and Paul is embodying the heart of the Gospel here in his attempts to reconcile these two Christians. The, the great exchange. My sin for Christ's righteousness. And, and Paul goes on, verse 19, to, to make it absolutely clear that he's committed to this. These aren't just words. Uh, Paul says, look, I'm writing this myself. Verse 19. I will repay the debt. I'm writing this with my own hand. Now, ordinarily, Paul would dictate his letters to a secretary, and the secretary would do the actual act of writing down what Paul had said. And, and so, Paul might mean here that he wrote this whole letter himself, no secretary. Um, more likely, he means at this point, he's taken up the stylus himself, and, and Philemon can see by the change of handwriting that Paul himself is writing and guaranteeing repayment of this debt. Paul wants to remove any barrier, anything that would stand in the way of these two men being reconciled to each other. And, and we're kind of left hanging a bit as you get to the end of this letter. Paul you know, sums up, he sends his greetings and, and traditional benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. And we wonder, was he successful? How did Philemon respond. Um, we don't know for sure, but I, I think it's very likely that Philemon responded well. The fact that he kept this letter and that it was later included in the canon of Scripture suggests the outcome was positive. Uh, church tradition even tells us that later Onesimus became the bishop of the church at Ephesus. And uh, that would have been very unlikely had this conflict been left unresolved. Now, that's, that's the, the story, the incident. And it, and it seems like, what relevance does that have to us? I mean, this just looks like some personal, private matter between these people who lived thousands of years ago. Uh, why is it here in Scripture for us? And let me give you two reasons. This is why Philemon matters. Reason number one. Conflict is a gospel issue. Uh, let me say it again. Conflict is a gospel issue. 
And, and here's what I mean by that. Conflict, especially disagreements between Christians, is something the Gospel speaks to. It's something the Gospel addresses. It, it's something that the Gospel can transform. You know, this is more than Paul just diffusing a tense situation. Uh, he's working out the implications of the Gospel in the life of the church. He's working out the implications of the Gospel in the context of human relationships. It's almost like everything he said in all of his letters before this final letter of Paul in Scripture, uh, he's, he's putting it into practice now. One pastor put it this way, the, the church is both a reconciled and a reconciling community. And, and reconciliation is really at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? I mean, this, this gospel message that we love, that we believe, that we sing about, has reconciliation right at the very center. We were alienated from God because of our sin, and Christ steps in, like we said, assuming our debt, paying our debt at the cross, and He restores and repairs uh, this most fundamental of all relationships, the, the one between the Creator God and His creatures. Christ made peace. And yet, the, the work of Christ, this work of reconciliation, it's not only vertical, is it? It's not only between me and God. The, the reconciliation Christ has accomplished is also horizontal between me and all who belong to Christ. And this is what Paul was talking about in the, in the reading, Scripture reading earlier from Ephesians 2, that at the, at the cross, through His work on the cross, Christ has torn down all the barriers that separate us from each other. And, and so the appeal to Philemon here is, is not simply to get over it. It's no big deal. Why don't you just um, move on? but instead to, to put into practice this gospel reality that Christ has reconciled us to God and to each other. And, and, and what Paul says to Philemon, it, it's true for us as well, as those who, have, who know the grace of reconciliation, as those who have been forgiven a debt that we could never repay, as those who are united to Christ and to all who are in Christ, we have, do you, do you realize this? We have the deepest, most compelling reason to reconcile with each other. Not simply because it's the nice thing to do or the, the polite thing to do, but because now we are all in Christ. We were sinners under the judgment of God, reconciled to God through Christ, and now bound together in Christ. And, and I think we could go even a step further and say that the privileges of gospel grace that we enjoy, and reconciliation is one of those privileges, those privileges we enjoy place upon us the responsibility, the gospel responsibility to pursue reconciliation with each other. And so the first reason this matters, this little story matters, is conflict is a gospel issue. It's not something unrelated to what we believe about the Gospel and who God is and what Christ has come to do. Our relationship with God through Christ is, is intimately connected to our relationships with each other. But there's a second reason, and, and it's this. Conflict is a redemptive opportunity. 
It's a redemptive opportunity. What do I mean? Well, conflict is an opportunity for the transforming grace of God to impact our relationships. Do you realize that conflict is where God shows up with reconciling grace? Uh, It's in the midst of these conflicts that God wants to work. Just like you know, we talked about last week, the, the Lord is here in these difficult conversations. He's here in these conflicts. Um, is that how you normally view conflict? A redemptive opportunity? Great. You know, I, I can't seem to come to an agreement with this person I really love. Wonderful. I'm so glad we have this chance for a redemptive opportunity. I don't normally think like that, at least not at first. You know, uh, most of our responses to conflict fall in, in one of two categories. You, you know, they're often categorized as fight or flight. You know, some people are fighters. They, they've got their boxing gloves on. They're ready to go 12 rounds with the other person. Um, they're excited. Um, I would gravitate more towards the flight <laughs> spectrum of responses, you know. Uh, get quiet pull away from the other person. Um, I don't want anything to do with this. That's too much drama. Let's just move on. The the grace of the Gospel, this reality that we've been reconciled to God through Christ and to each other in Christ, it helps us resist those two extremes. It helps us see that conflict isn't something to be avoided at all costs. Not that we need to go out seeking conflict. It'll, It'll come. But it's not something to be avoided at all costs, but neither is it a battle that we're trying to win. It's an opportunity to draw on God's grace. It's an opportunity to see the the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that we've received from God in Christ uh, transform a relationship. It, It moves us toward each other, seeking peace and reconciliation. And so conflict is a redemptive opportunity. That, that's why this story matters. It's, it's the Gospel in action. The Gospel coming to bear on these relationships between Philemon and Onesimus and Paul. And so now let me just make some applications as we think about this truth uh, that the church is a a reconciled and a reconciling community. And and I want to speak to three groups of people. And and let me just say up front here that the challenge for a preacher here is that I'm not going to say anything you haven't heard before, or at least most of you have not heard before. The challenge is for us to really take to heart what what Scripture says about this issue. And, And so first group, perhaps... You're sitting here this morning and, and you've realized you've offended someone. You know, somehow you've hurt them. You've, you've sinned against them in some way. Maybe, maybe you did it with your words. You know, just cutting comments, uh, criticism. Maybe um, you said a bunch of unkind things that you don't even really uh, believe, but, but they just kind of came out in the heat of the moment. Uh, maybe... You've broken your promises to the other person. Maybe you've betrayed someone. Maybe you stole something like Onesimus 
did. And, and things are just not right between you and the other. And, and you can feel it. You sense it. You know, perhaps, you know, in some cases there's outright hostility. You can't even be in the same room with each other because tempers flare. Or maybe the relationship is just, you know, kind of fallen off. The, the closeness that there once was has, has disappeared. Or you, you, know, you see the other person in the store and you, you avert your eyes. Um, I know that that happens because I've done it. Uh, what do you do? What do you do? Jesus tells us. He says, go to them and confess. Go to them. If, if you've offended your brother or sister, Go to them, uh, Matthew 5, 23, 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know, I, I've been in this position uh, more times than I can count. And, and I know the excuses we make. I know the excuses I make. You know, if I offended them, they should just come to me and tell me. Um, you know, it was a heated conversation. What do they, what do they expect? Or uh, they're just being sensitive. You know, they, they shouldn't take it so seriously. Uh, Jesus says this is not a time for excuses. This is a time for, for urgency. And, and there in the, in the context, speaking to his Jewish disciples who would be uh, going to the temple to offer sacrifices, he says, look, this issue of reconciliation is so important that if you're there at the temple about to offer sacrifice and you realize you've, you've wronged someone, just stop what you're doing. Postpone that act of worship and go and, and confess and, and seek reconciliation. And so, you know, assuming you can get past that, that excuse-making uh, phase, uh, you know, a common fear is rejection. If I go to this person and confess my faults, everyone is going to see how awful I really am. You know, and they're going to, they're going to hold this over my head. Uh, they're going to see the real me. Uh, what if they don't want to reconcile? What if I just kind of bare my heart to them and come clean and I'm honest and they say, get away from me? Uh, this is where the gospel provides help and, and hope. You see, if, if you are in Christ, if you are a man or woman in Christ here today, God has seen you at your worst. He knows all about you, and yet He has forgiven you and welcomed you into His family. And, and God knows that you're more sinful than that other person is ever going, going to know. And yet He calls you His own. He hasn't rejected you. And, and that, friends, it, it gives you the freedom and the courage, I would say, to be honest about your sin with others. Uh, you're not going to tell them anything that God doesn't already know about you. And, and you're not looking to this other person. As, as much as you might love them and respect them, you're not looking to this other person to just say, you know what, you're really not that bad. It's okay. Uh, you know you're not okay. You know that you really are that bad, and yet you, the grace of God meets you in your sin and guilt, and so you can just come clean to the person you've sinned against. You can go and confess and seek forgiveness from the person you've harmed. 
And, and let me just say, if you find yourself in that position, give the other person time. We often treat this, this uh, biblical peacemaking process as if it's just a simple series of transactions. You know, okay, did, did step one, did step two, did step three. Okay, come on, come on, come on. We want to move to step four. You know, the other person's not a robot. You can't just flip a switch and have them instantly gush over you and, and say all is forgiven. Give them time. They're going to have to work through the hurt. They're going to have to work through whatever issues are going on in their heart. They may need time to see that you really are repentant, that you really are serious about seeking reconciliation. And so let me ask you, if if this is you this morning, the offender, whom do you need to go to? You know, is it a spouse? Maybe it's one of your children, um, friend, co-worker, neighbor. Who is it? With whom do you need to pursue reconciliation? Ask God that, that He would give you the humility and the strength to go to them and, and confess and, and seek forgiveness. Uh, second group, maybe, maybe you're the one who's been sinned against. What should you do? You know, in, in some cases, love and wisdom would dictate just overlook the fault. You know, you think of Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You know, maybe you caught someone at the end of the day, they're tired, um, they, they gave you a curt response, and, and you know what, you, you understand what that's like, and it's really not that big of a deal. You have those kinds of moments too, and you're not going to make an issue out of it. You just kind of quietly, silently forgive, it's forgotten, and the relationship is unharmed. You know, uh, Stephanie does this all the time with me. You know, about once a week, we, we try to sneak away together for about 30 minutes or so, and, and we do this really exciting thing. We, we go to the drive-thru at McDonald's, and, and we order a large Coke to share. And here's the problem. I am a fast drinker. I, I, I don't know how to pace myself when it comes to beverages. If, if I see, you know, a, a cup full of a beverage, I'm not going to stop until it's gone. And and before you know it, this drink we're supposed to be sharing, I've pretty much polished off most of it <laughs> before we even get home, and, and Stephanie just lets it slide. Although I've noticed that she's, she's begun suggesting that we order two Cokes when we go through the drive-thru. Now, obviously that's a silly example, uh, but some offenses can be easily overlooked. What about the hurts you can't overlook? You know, in an ideal world, the person who sinned against you would recognize their fault. They would come repentant, um, sincerely seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, and, and, and that would happen. But it doesn't always happen, does it? So what do you do? And, and again, Jesus. Jesus says, Matthew 18, go. If, if your brother's sister has sinned against you, go to them. Talk, talk to them about it. Now, if you fall on the flight end of the conflict uh, spectrum, that can sound very scary. <laughs> what do you mean? 
(laughs) I have to go and tell this person that they've hurt me, that they've wronged me. It sounds scary, but it's actually a mercy. It's a mercy that Jesus says this to us. You see, he, he's not leaving us helpless and just um, stuck you know, at home stewing over the offense with no hope for resolution. He, he frees us to bring the offense into the light, to, to bring it out into the open with the hope of reconciling. And, and again, the Gospel provides help and hope and tremendous resources for, for doing this. Think about the hope we have. We, we know that God is involved in this conflict. He's here. He's all about dealing with conflict. We know that His grace changes relationships. And so when I have to do the hard thing, when I have to go tell someone, hey, you know, you really hurt me, I can be confident that, that God's here with His grace. There, there's help, too. Um, God's grace enables me to engage conflict in a gospel-shaped way. You know, not running to escape, not putting on the the boxing gloves to pummel the other person, but, but recognizing that I am a sinner who's been shown much grace by God, and I can be truthful about the hurt. I don't need to, I don't need to downplay it. I can be honest. God, God tells me to be honest, and yet knowing that I too am a sinner, I can be humble and gentle with the person who's offended me. I know that I too have sinned against God and others in countless ways. And, and even when it comes to granting forgiveness, which I think for all of us is, is the hardest part, I, I draw on the grace of the gospel. You know, I, I remind myself that the debt I owed God because of my sin was infinitely greater than what this person has done to me. And, and even as I say that, I am conscious that some of you have been horribly mistreated by other people. I, it, it's, it's, what's been done to you is unspeakable. No one should have to go through it, and, and I'm not trivializing what you've experienced and the, the evil that's been done to you. But this is the perspective that the gospel gives to us about our sin and the sins of others. You know, you, you think about that that parable of the unmerciful servant, Matthew um, 18, I think it is. And, and my debt to God was astronomical. I was undeserving, but God has been abundantly merciful to me. And, and, and out of that experience, out of, of that reality of, of being a sinner under the judgment of God and yet shown grace that is just unimaginable and a, and a welcome from, from God that was unthinkable, out of that, I can begin to show mercy to those who have sinned against me. And yet another sticky question, well, what if the offender refuses to confess and be reconciled? You know, we talk about the gospel forgiveness and reconciliation. Well, sometimes as the offended party, you go to the person and they say, you're wrong. It was your fault. I didn't do anything. 
and, and you've tried multiple times to get somewhere with someone. <clears throat> you've enlisted others' help. You, you, you've done seemingly all that you could, but the other person simply won't cooperate, or, or at the very best, they're just kind of going through the motions. There's no real commitment to pursuing peace. You know, they're, they're more interested in, in blaming others and clearing their name. You know, the Bible is realistic about human relationships. I said that earlier. It's, it's worth repeating. The Bible is incredibly reasonable. And you think of Romans 12, verse 18. This is Paul again saying, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If it's possible, you know, so far as it depends on you, uh, do what you can. Make a, a good faith effort, multiple good faith efforts, but, but realize God does not expect you to change the other person's heart. You can't, right? Only God can do that by the power of His Holy Spirit. And God does not hold you responsible for that unreconciled relationship if, if you have done what was possible to try to bring about reconciliation. Paul says, look, do what's within your, your ability. Do what, what's within your sphere of responsibility. And if reconciliation doesn't happen, leave that to God. It isn't always possible. That's why Paul says, if possible. And so a third group. Uh, the Pauls in the room, and I don't, I don't mean those of you who are literally named Paul, but I mean those of you who... Um, maybe it's not your conflict. You know, you're you're not a party to this disagreement, but it but it involves people you care about. What do you do? What do you do? You know, I, I think as good Southern Californians, we like to just keep our distance. You know, don't want to get involved in that messy thing. I'll just uh, keep my distance there. Don't want to be a meddler. You know, we're not supposed to be meddlers. Let me just step back. We'd rather not get our hands dirty. But sometimes others need your help. And, and they need a Paul who can mediate, who can say, look, brother or sister, uh, let, me, let me talk with you. Let me try to help you to come to um, a resolution of this disagreement. And I, I would urge you, don't shy away from that role. Uh, God can do amazing things through someone who is willing to sit down with two or, or more people who seem to be at an impassable point in a disagreement and can use that person to, to bring grace, to bring reconciliation to the situation. And so, going back to the, the title of Paul Tripp's book, Relationships, a, a Mess worth making. Notice he doesn't leave it with a mess. <laughs> a mess worth making. Our, Christ is our hope in the mess. Christ is our hope in the brokenness and the conflict. You know, communication skills are great. Conflict resolution skills are great. But, but ultimately it comes down to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of reconciliation. The Gospel of of transforming grace. This, this Savior who stepped into the messiness and the brokenness of our sin and guilt and reunited us with a loving Heavenly Father, He made peace. That's what He does. He is the, the Prince of Peace. And, and because of Him, 
Conflict does not have to be the only story to tell about our relationships. His grace can turn enemies into friends. I mean, we have it very vividly portrayed for us here in Philemon. It turned a a slave owner and a fugitive slave into brothers. And so let the, the grace that God has shown you move you toward the other person. Let the, let the forgiveness you've received from God in Christ make you a forgiving person. Let the, the welcome you have received from God, despite your guilt, despite your undeserving, let it make you eager to confess your sins to others and seek peace with them. Christ is our hope and help in, in the conflict and the mess. And, and, and none of this is easy. So let me pray for us that, that God would indeed send us grace, transforming grace. Our God and Father, as we think about the, the need to pursue reconciliation and peace as much as it depends on us, we we confess our inadequacy for the task. We, we confess that often we would rather continue arguing or just simply give up. We pray that you would help us to put our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do a, a deep work in our hearts, a, a renewed appreciation and experience of your grace, uh, a new realization of of the abundance of mercy and kindness that you have poured out on us through Jesus Christ and that our, our approach to relationships would be changed as a result. We ask that you would make us into a, a gospel-shaped community, one where recon- confession and forgiveness and reconciliation are just normal everyday things, a part of our our life together. We ask in Jesus' name.